This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Eyewitness News Up Close with Bill Witter. The state of the NYPD is strong. The actions of New York's finest over the last few weeks alone has been a showcase of incredible bravery. The commissioner of the NYPD speaking out after the New York City Council approved the new program called How Many Stops Act. The council overriding Mayor Adams' veto of the bill. So what impact will the new law have on efforts to fight crime? This morning, we talked to former New York City Police Commissioner Bill Bratton. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Up Close. I'm Bill Ritter. It is the biggest battle to date between the mayor and the city council, and it has led to a division among many New Yorkers. 42 of the 51 council members voted to override the mayor's veto, despite powerful warnings from the mayor. Mr. Adams saying more paperwork for NYPD officers means less time to fight crime. We're going to talk to former police commissioner Bill Bratton in just a moment. But first, we asked Eyewitness News reporter N.J. Burka to take a closer look at the law and what it means. In the end, the support was overwhelming. Council members embraced and wept openly in the council chamber an emotional ending to a tense showdown at City Hall. The City Council voting 42 to 9 to override the mayor's veto. Black and Latino New Yorkers continue to be disproportionately subjected to unconstitutional stops that go underreported. Civilian complaints of misconduct are at their highest levels in a decade. These stops can no longer happen in the shadows because the pain and trauma they inflict on communities have long-lasting impact. The How Many Stops Act will require officers to complete a short form on their smartphones each time they have even a casual encounter with a civilian. It's intended to provide the clearest picture yet of who's being stopped and why. Supporters of the bill believe that the NYPD is still racially profiling New Yorkers. The amount of misinformation verifiably exaggerated and false claims about this bill has been unacceptable. Officers already report higher level investigative stops. NYPD officers make 8.5 million lower level or level one stops every year. Critics say documenting them will slow down manhunts or emergency responses. That'll delay critical response. Stands to reason, if police are filling out, whether you want to call it paperwork or digital work, they're still going to have to answer questions and up to, and on the level one, up to 11 questions. The override was a stunning defeat for Mayor Adams, who's insisted that the city will be less safe. He says he's determined to work with the council majority to amend language in the bill to exempt low-level encounters. We have to draft out how to do it. The second thing is we need to really engage with a process of encouraging the council members to admit. Mayor Adams says he's determined to work with the council majority on the bill's language. Supporters say they're willing to listen to the mayor and that they're open to it. But to a point, in Midtown, NJ Burkett, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. That's the fine print of all this. Now for the big reaction from a former two-time NYPD commissioner, Bill Bratton. Mr. Bratton, thank you for joining us once again on Up Close. Really appreciate it. 
Uh, let's let's let me start off with the new and, and rather controversial rules pushed through uh, by the New York City Council this past week uh, after it had, they had to override the veto by by the mayor. We'll talk about that in a second. But it in, if I get if I have this right, every investigative stop has to be logged with information about the person who they talk to. And I think that's after reading all the laws about it and all the briefings. I think that's what it says. What's your initial take on this? A totally unnecessary imposition of the city council on the uh, policies, procedures, and operations of the NYPD. There are four levels of stops that uh, three and four, basically, uh, the stop, question, and frisk, and then an actual arrest. Second is a truly stop, uh, an investigative stop. The first level stop, the one that is so much con so controversial, the NYPD interpretation bill is that any encounter with a New York City police officer and a citizen has to be now documented. City Council is saying, no, that's not what we meant when we voted. Uh, but the devil's in the details. And they're going to have to try and work out those details because right now it is very confusing. Well, I'm, I'm looking at, at the briefing that we got, and it, de it definitely says casual interactions do not count. And you're saying that's, that they will count. Is that what you're saying? The problem is then that's interpretation to the police officer involved. Is it a casual or is it part of an investigative uh, 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 interaction with the citizen? Or during the casual, does it then lead to uh, a more significant encounter? And so what we're doing is creating for police officers a phenomenal potential for confusion, Phenomenal potential for the city council and the inspector general to criticize the NYPD for not complying with what the council supposedly intended. Uh, but again, do we need New York City police officers? There's only 33,000 of them now. They're down by about four or 5,000 officers from what they need. Do we need them basically documenting? Uh, and it's what they're supposed to document that I think is so problematic. Uh, city council, because it believes that the NYPD is a racist organization, purposely targeting minorities in the city, although the NYPD is a minority majority department. Police commissioner is Latino. The chief of department is African-American. The first deputy commissioner is Latino. Uh, we have a department that reflects the city, but the city council refuses to believe that they're not out there uh, basically constantly harassing the minority community. So what they put in place is this rule that's going to place an administrative burden as well as an incredible burden on district attorneys, that when they have to, in the, something that leads up to an arrest, for example, they're going to have to provide documentation of all of these stops as part of what they require to give to defense attorneys uh, in many of the instances that defense attorneys are representing. No, this is a, a bureaucratic nightmare that is being created in a department that is short staff. There was a report this morning, um, uh, earlier this week, about uh, the response time of the NYPD has gone up phenomenally uh, to emergency calls. Now, response time is nine and ten minutes. And is that the because there are fewer people? There are fewer cops on the street? Fewer cops on the street, as well as some of the additional burdens that have been placed on them. Uh, also, just the training that's going to be necessary, even among the confusion of what is supposed to be taught. Uh, again, so unnecessary because, again, my concern, a particular concern I have, is the office is going to be asked, asking the person, what is your race? What is your agenda? Imagine the average New Yorker responding to that question. What the hell do you need that for? Yeah. And then the office is going to have to guess. 
And it's when he guesses, he or she guesses, that's when they're going to get jammed up that, you know, somebody basically, uh, uh, and this, as this thing goes forward, uh, that citizen complains about something that happened and they stop and uh, the officer reported that they were uh, black. And the individual says, I'm not black, I'm Latino. Or I'm not, uh, uh, I'm, I'm binary. Uh, it's creating just more, more, more problems to the average cop in the street. Uh, there would include binary in, in that as well, I, su I suspect. Uh, well, it's, it's in asking. terms of it. Okay, I know what you're saying. Let me put some context in this uh, about your own career, because I look at the posts that you put on social media now, and a lot of people, you know, you make a point and then they retort by saying you're just a, you're just a conservative guy. And, uh, you know, you're, I think a lot of people in the police field would not say you're an ultra conservative guy by any stretch of the imagination. And I want to bring up a, a decade ago when you became the commissioner again under Bill de Blasio, uh, you know, it was there was a mandate because they, it was ruled unconstitutional that stop and frisk had to stop. And you were a critic of how the prior administration had done stop and frisk. You weren't necessarily a critic of using it in its in some some shorter degree, smaller degree, but you were against it because you thought that the 90% plus stops were of people of color and you didn't like that. So I want, I want to make that part of the context. How different is stop and frisk from this, what they're doing now? Stop and frisk is uh, what effectively would be a level three uh, interaction with a police officer, where the officer uh, has a reasonable suspicion that somebody has, is about to, or is committing a crime or an offense. And he is, by law, uh, 1968, Terry versus Ohio, right. authorized to stop and question that person. And if he feels there's a danger to himself or others, he can pat that person down. That's where the frisk comes in. The frisk is done uh, in a smaller number of uh, instances than the actual number of stops. And during Ray Kelly's time, that uh, it, those stops got up to close to a million stops a year. And that's why the minority community started expressing concern with crime down 70 or 80%. Why are stops going up so dramatically? I did not believe, as I watched this when I came back from Los Angeles, before I became commissioner again in 2014, that that many stops were necessary. And that was proven when I was appointed commissioner by de Blasio, probably one of the most progressive mayors the city has ever had, that and we worked quite well together, that we could reduce the number of stops yeah. even further. We got them down to about nine or 10,000. But the problem was a federal judge had already determined that the department was racially biased in its implementation of stop, question, frisk, put in place a federal monitor. But what happened in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, in part of 19, Crime continued to go down. And what happened in each of those years? The number of stops went down. So my theory, if you will, was proven that we could have fewer stops and still reduce yeah. crime. Even now, there's last year, I think there was 16 or 17,000 stops, reflective of the fact that crime went up the last couple of years and that the mayor and the police commissioner have been encouraging the officers to get more assertive, more fair evasion stops, okay. for example. And uh, so what we're dealing with here is uh, it, it, it's overkill on the part of the city council, overkill. I want to talk a little bit before I say goodbye to you uh, about what happened this a weekend, last weekend. Uh, two cops in Times Square were attacked by uh, asylum-seeking uh, migrants in Times Square. Seven of them, uh, we're taping this on Thursday, seven of them have been uh, arrested and charged, but they have been released as well. Five of them at least have been released uh, with no bail. Uh, what was your reaction to that? Because it's got drawn a lot of criticism, not just in New York, but around the country. 
discussed, but not surprised. I have been railing against that bill reform act since they put it into place. And here is a very vivid example of something that the average person cannot understand. You have two uniformed officers, a lieutenant and a police officer, attempt to break up what is described as a disruptive group of young men, about 12 or 14, the number is still uncertain. But in attempting to then arrest one of those individuals, and I'm not sure what that arrest was for, that the others, as the officers are struggling with this resisting individual, begin to pummel the officers, kicking them in the face. And this is all captured on video. Yeah, it was on video. Yep. Disgust comes in, in a sense, under the current bail reform laws that our city council and our legislature embraced, that those individuals were released without any form of bail. And what's even more problematic, and this fits into the larger national dilemma about the whole migrant situation, all of these people are in the country illegally or now legally in the sense they were let in to basically hang around until their cases are heard 10 years from now. But the idea that they are welcomed into this country and feel free to significantly assault uniformed police officers in New York City. Meanwhile, most of them are living in subsidized housing and hotels and being fed every day by us. Uh, no, it's outrageous. And the average person in the public is beginning to really understand how screwed up this city is. And in many respects, how screwed up we are nationally around the issue of immigration. Because it's so confusing. They, uh, they did move them out of the hotels. They're more in, 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 uh, in ho houses, shelters that they're trying to move them into because it was just too darn expensive, according to the mayor. Let me ask you something. Uh, we're, we're talking here. Crime has gone down again for, since the pandemic in New York. No question. Uh, murders are down. Guns are down. Some, some yes, but the rest of, crime, rest of crime, though, is not down. Right. And it's nowhere near it was before, back to 2019. Yeah. 18 and 19, two safest years in the history of the city. And crime is still up 30 or 40% overall from what it was back then. The cops are trying hard, but there's not enough of them. And unfortunately... They're doing a good, well, fortunately, doing a great job at the shootings and the murders. But the other forms of crime, just the other day in front of my building, I live over in Sutton Place, at 1.15 in the afternoon, a woman walking down the street, one door away from my front door with a doorman, two characters on a moped come scooting down the street and snap her iPhone from her hand right. and off they go. That kind of, that kind that's of, kind of crimes are happening. No question. Yeah, no and question. they have the on the increase. Right. So the question I have, based on all that, and we got to the bottom line here, is, is where is the distrust? There, there was distrust a lot, uh, and that seemed to change when stop and frisk happened, when you came back in for a second round as commissioner, um, and during the pandemic. Yet there are a lot of people, a lot of people, as we saw in the city council, that they do still distrust the police. How do you begin to grapple with cutting out that distrust from getting back to where we seem to be going uh, several years ago. Well, Bill, unfortunately, the water, I believe, is muddied somewhat, and I've referenced this in my social media posts, that the Speaker of the City Council, Ms. Adams, and the public advocate, Mr. Williams, both of them uh, see that the uh, mayor is uh, having great difficulty at the current time, and I think are contemplating running against him, particularly if any of his difficulties become more problematic. So you have politics, I think, that are influencing some of what's going on here. The idea of taking on the mayor, uh, supposedly humiliating him. I don't think he was humiliated. I think he and the police commissioner uh, stood proud standing up for their cops. But this is an extraordinarily complex situation. But 
the majority of the city council, I'm afraid that there's not much hope of uh, winning them over. They are so far to the left, the progressive woke left, as we use that term. Uh, I used to describe myself as a progressive because the word has become so uh, tainted. I now describe myself as a centrist, that I lean to the right on some issues, I lean to the left on others, but I'm no longer describing myself as a progressive because unfortunately the last couple of years, the city council has taken that term and sullied it. And now if you describe yourself as a progressive, you're seen as basically being very far to the left. Appreciate what you're saying, Bill, but the bigger question is how do leaders, how do elected leaders, the leaders in the community, people like yourself, how do citizens come together again and say, you know what, we, we need to stop this distrust and how do we do that? And that's really the bigger question because a lot of these problems will be over if that happens. One of the things you'd look to do in these circumstances, and I've done it in the past, both in Los Angeles here, uh, you bring in a mediator, if you will. Somebody who is, is trusted, who is respected, who can effectively convene to bring people together. And uh, uh, I was able to do that, ironically, when Mayor uh, de Blasio was being attacked by the union after the murders of officers Ramos and Lou. Yep. The idea, I was trusted by the rank and file, I was trusted by the mayor, and was able to bring them to the table to try and talk through yeah. the issues and frustration. So it is the idea of trying to find, at this time, where the mayor and the uh, city council are basically slugging it out with each other, uh, and the police department is in the middle of it, Find, find a mediator who can begin the dialogue and see if they can find ways forward. It's a great suggestion. Have you talked to the mayor about that or anything else recently? Not about that issue that uh, I would hope that's something that they're all contemplating. There are certainly great people in this city that uh, who could effectively uh, serve that purpose. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I would describe it as like World War One. I'm in the trenches, and uh, myself included, with throwing hand grenades into no man's land. Uh, what we need to do is have a Christmas truce and come out of the trenches and, and get, get into about no man's land and see if we can work some of this stuff out. From your lips uh, to, the, uh, to everyone's ears, really, because I think that's what a lot of people want. Most New Yorkers don't want anything, uh, anything like this. They would like to have that distrust ended. No it's such a great city and there's so much turmoil in the world that uh, nobody wants all this in their lives. That uh, And the irony of it, for so many years, we had relative peace and calm and uh, racial tensions were reduced dramatically. And uh, unfortunately, the well-intended efforts of the progressives on criminal justice reform, bail reform, boomerang because they were so poorly written and so poorly implemented. It's like the marijuana issue, 1,500 illegal marijuana stores in New York City yeah. and only four or five legal stores. So it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I think a lot of people are scratching their heads about that. There's no question. Bill Bratton, uh, so good to have you. Thank you for your insight. Uh, uh, former progressive, now centrist. <laughs> Whatever the label is, uh, we appreciate your insight. Really man, man in the middle, man oh, in the middle. There you go. All right, Bill Bratton. Thanks, Bill. Have a great day. And we thank Bill Bratton for his perspective in all of this. By the way, we asked the woman who led the effort to override the mayor's veto, City Council Speaker Adrienne Adams, to be on today's Up Close. She was unable to make it. We're hoping to have her on this show in the near future. And when we come back, the campaign for president takes some interesting turns. Our political team joins us. That's next. Welcome back to Up Close. Let's get right to our political team, ABC News political director Rick Klein and the great Hank Scheinkoff, political <laughs> consultant. But gentlemen, it's been a long time since we've all three been here together. Amazing, yeah. Uh, not since 
pre-pandemic. Wow. Did we all three be there? So I'm just thrilled to have you. I don't really know what to ask you. Not true <laughs> at all. Um, let's start with something that's just sort of shocking, dis uh, discouraging, uh, whatever you want to put into it. Uh, it looked like we had some sort of, this country, we being this country, had some sort of, you know, deal at the border amongst each other. And all of a sudden, somebody makes some phone calls to some people who are elected in office, and it doesn't happen. What is going on, Rick? It's wild. President Trump is against a bill that he hasn't even seen yet. There is, it actually isn't text that he has reviewed, and he has said he's against it. And that has turned House Republicans against the bill as well. This is something that's been the product of months of negotiation in the Senate. Conservative Republicans working with Democrats, working with the White House to try to deal with what everyone recognizes is a huge problem at the border. And there's even Republicans saying this is a better deal than we could get with Trump. But Trump has come in. And said, I'm not for this. I want you to kill it. And because some Republicans, why? well, some are saying the quiet part out loud. They're saying that this would help Joe Biden, uh, which is a wild proposition here nine months before the election that you'd have members of Congress saying, we don't want to do something that we acknowledge is necessary, acknowledge is good for the country because we don't want to hurt our guy, our guy being Trump. Now, not that the former president hasn't done things which we, we say, well, that's never been done before. Has this ever been done before? This is the acme of the uh, victory of political partisanship over the public good. Um, we've seen some things like this, but the, um, the enormity of the problem, the enormity of the fact that you could undermine a sitting president in this way simply for your own political benefit is not good news for this country and will be the model for what people could do in the future. Nine months before the election, yeah. Rick. Yeah. It, it, this is not much different than when Barack Obama, 10 months with left in his office, wanted to nominate a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, and, and in this case, there's also a tax bill on Capitol Hill that would, you know, expansion of the child tax Would credit. be nice to do. Very nice to do. And again, bipartisan, lots of people agree, this rare achievement in Congress. Uh, this, it, it, yes, would it be a political victory for Joe Biden if you do these things? Yes, but it would also be good for the country. And I think that, that's what's different here, is you have that broad consensus around that, yet Trump is pulling the strings. And he's not even the nominee, much less the president. And yet we have all this turmoil that I think Americans on both sides of the aisle want right. to deal with at the border. And now we're talking about Taylor Swift and whether she's going <laughs> to endorse Biden. Well, look, celebrities in politics are nothing new. If you think about 1960, you go back, if you know presidential history, right. Frank Sinatra out there with Judy Garland and all these people, Sammy Davis saying, you know, vote for Kennedy. There's nothing new here. What Biden does if Taylor Swift comes out and says, hello, Biden, is he gets the chance to go against Trump. Because the young people may not like something about Biden, but they like less about Trump. And and that's yet, the difference. And yet trashing this thing uh, was a big deal on a certain cable television show. I, I, I don't understand the politics of this. To, 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 to take on the Swifties, I think, is really dumb. Because, right. look, we can just dispose with this, this conspiracy theory. The Elder Swift is not a Pentagon asset. This isn't a big conspiracy to build her career up and to build Travis Kelsey. This is, this is a, a very popular pop star who, yes, is a Democrat and, yes, is involved in politics. And I think it's there, any Republican who is is using this as a as a political weapon or hiding behind this conspiracy theory, I think is making a major mistake and probably needs to get out more because this does this is just dumb. Which raises another spectrum, I yeah. think anyway. And can, can, tell me I'm wrong if you think I'm wrong. Uh, it doesn't seem sometimes that the former president is interested in bringing more people into his tent. Either you like me, or you don't. If you don't like me, go over there. But he's got 40 percent. That's not going to win the presidency, and he's keeping people at bay. Keeping people at bay is keeping the people he doesn't want to be with him at bay. And he'll bring the others in with his rhetoric later that he needs. If you note what's going on here is there's clear class, social class, and racial distinctions in how this vote is going to happen. And now we're going to have probably problems with, with age as well. 
He's doing his best to gin that up. He's found the male Catholics in many cases, male Protestants in many cases in the Midwest as that place because they hate what's going on. And he's ginning them up all the time. He's going to add to it before it's over because it'll be a public issue that he can get around. Quick look, if we could, at the next uh, primary. Yeah. What do you think? South Carolina three weeks away. And look, this is the last this is the last opportunity for Nikki Haley to break through because Super Tuesday comes right after it. It couldn't line up better in some ways because it's her home state. But she's now down 25 points in the polls instead of 35 points in the polls. There are a lot of people in her ear saying, keep doing this, win some delegates, make the point that Donald Trump needs to, to not be the nominee. And this is a disaster for the Republican Party. But I, I don't see a path for her right now. She's going to fight it. And, and she hasn't lost that many donors. But this is Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. Barring something cataclysmic. You know, if you're Nikki Haley, the smart move is you're an accountant. Open up a tax office. you got time. It's the right <laughs> season. In South Carolina and Charleston, you make a lot of money and do your work. You really think that it's going to be, she's got one more yeah. go at I it. Think it's it. I think it's, it's her home state. And, and because of the calendar, just 10 days after that, basically it's a national primary. Everyone's voting. So if you haven't started to win b before that, you're not going to start winning then. It's just really about money, too, at this point. Because it costs a lot of money to be a candidate, right? A lot you of money. This. Well, it costs an awful lot of money to run for anything today. You know, she'll get money, but how much money? And Trump, he doesn't need as much money, frankly. All he's got to do is show up. And the states, uh, Republican uh, mucky mucks, probably want Donald yeah. Trump. Hank, Rick, really great seeing you. Good to so see good you. to have yes. you in person here. Really great. All, All right. right. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And we'll be right back. That's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with our pal Joe Torres is coming up next. If you missed any of today's programs, I will post the segments from today on my Facebook page tomorrow. And you can also watch the show anytime on our new podcast and any of our ABC 7NY platforms. Thank you all for watching. I'm Bill Ritter. And for all of us here at Channel 7 Eyewitness News, we wish you health and peace. And let's take care of each other.